Before today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So get comfy and let's discuss death. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I am Red. And this week we are your interrogated death investigators. This week we thought we'd get down to some burning questions that we get all the time and from an interesting source, our own families. Some of our family members have definitely made some family gatherings a little interesting by asking us questions about work, and we constantly get random shower thoughts like texts from our parents out of the blue asking about death-related things, so it's time to finally answer them for all of you guys to hear as well. I'm sure you all have been wondering some of the same things. So for this week's episode, I had asked my family for their questions, uh, the common stuff that they've been thinking about, and I got a lot of texts, a lot of uh, questions back. So I, th- what we're going over today is even cut down from what was sent to me. So we're not going to have time to answer each question super in depth. Uh, so we might kind of breeze past a few of them with just a quick answer. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now, and I am very appreciative of uh, Red's family. You guys are awesome. So we're going to try to maybe we'll do like a lightning round for some of these, but um, we're going to try to do the best that we can. So I'm starting off with uh, questions from my aunt, uh, ones that she sent me. So uh, first of which being, what is an appropriate thing to say to someone who's had a loss? This is a good one. I really like this one. I think we get it a lot just from people in general. I just to keep it brief, I always kind of say something that feels genuine to me because they're always going to get the I'm sorry for your loss, which I feel like is really ingenuine sometimes or like, you know, my condolences for your loss, unless you really mean it, like it really gets old really fast and is really not genuine at all. Um, So I I usually say like, you know, I talk to them like I would talk to anyone And then I usually say at the end, like, you know, stay safe or like take care or something like this, because I I mean that and I want them to. Yeah, absolutely. I usually try to make it about the person that I'm talking to that like, like, how are you doing? Like, literally, like, legitimately, how are you doing? And like, is there anything I can do to help? Like, people aren't going to be reaching out for help. So it's always nice to offer like, hey, like, do you want me to take you out to dinner? Like anything I can do around the house for you. So usually making it about the person is is really important yeah i would agree with that definitely it's it's more about them and their grief than it is about like oh it's so sad that so-and-so died it's like well yeah it is sad. right obviously <laughs> um all right next what is the most common request for services and the most bizarre okay so for this one i i feel like it depends on the like place that you're like the the demographic because like some places it's like it might just be you know traditional catholic funeral mass and burial like that's what is going to be the most typical or in some other places it might be it might be just cremation with memorial but where i'm at currently it's definitely going to be the the former we had a lot of catholic services a lot of traditional burials um 
And I had to say, so the most bizarre request for a service I've ever gotten, I got a phone call, uh, a researcher basically, uh, that was calling around and asking questions. And this guy was like, well, my dad's not doing so well, you know, and he sounded young on the phone. He's like, my dad's not doing well, but he has this really weird thing he wants done. And I don't think any funeral homes that I've talked to so far are going to do it for us. And I'm like, okay, I'm listening. (laughs) And he asked, he's like, my dad wants to be in a giant PVC pipe full of like silica gel and buried. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start (laughs) to try to even (laughs) do that for you. (laughs) Yeah. Like, where are you going to get those resources? Right. (laughs) I'll just call up the embalming um, company and have them send me, I don't know, a ton of (laughs) silica gel. (laughs) I need wow, to know the story so behind that one. There's got to be some some weird thing in their family. Yeah. <laughs> this next one, though, could be a very interesting, bizarre option that someone could ask for. I hope that someone asked me this one day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Red's aunt asks, is taxidermy an option for humans, I'm assuming? Yes. So I know that, like, stuff circulates around online, some pictures of this, where, like, in other countries that people are, like, embalmed and then put in positions that are like of life like life positions like sitting at a table playing poker and and stuff like that mm-hmm. um but when it comes to like taxidermy legit like actually like having somebody as a coat rack in your house for for forever um i don't even i don't even know if that's even a possibility i mean like legally definitely not <laughs> yeah at least in the u.s there are some countries that like you said they will they will exhume the bodies of their relatives and we i think we posted about this on our facebook and they will have like a festival with these mummified bodies of their relatives and like change their clothes and blah 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 um as i mean technically embalming is kind of like taxidermy guys it's like (laughs) extremely similar in a disturbing way but yeah i wouldn't say that people like have their aunt set up in their living room for like (laughs) you know 40 years or whatever that's a little creepy right because you gotta think about taxidermy it doesn't always look super great after a long time and the same (laughs) would be true for people i'm sure as well (laughs) yeah What services do you want for yourself? This is a good question. I always, I always like, I always like this answering this because, like, you know, as a funeral director doing so many different, you know, services, like, yeah, what do you after doing all of those things? What would you want for yourself? Um, personally, I, I mean, I know services are for the living. I want to be cremated. Um, I want my like remains to be scattered somewhere meaningful or multiple meaningful places. Uh, the services are up to my next of kin, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think the idea that I had is that, you know, my mom is actually really sentimental. I would want her to just do whatever she wants. I would like to have my body either donated, um, organ donation if possible, or um, donated to science if possible. Those things aren't, they're kind of hard to get into. So I would probably just want like a green burial myself if that couldn't happen. But um, service wise, I would want either my mom to decide or if I end up dying after she dies, um, yeah, probably like my next of kin or um, if not, just like, I don't know, throw me a box, throw me in the ground kind of thing. Like, <laughs> throw me in the trash. You know? <laughs> no one, I don't want any embalming, though. That's the one thing I do not know. <laughs> no embalming. Yeah. I actually don't want an autopsy either, unless hmm. I'm like killed, you know, because homicides, they have to, you have to do that. But I do not want anyone cutting me up like that. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah, it's pretty invasive. <laughs> <laughs> 
Next question. Is there an after-death market for recycling? And uh, yes, there is. So in many different forms. So there's like metals from cremation, you know, the hips, hip replacements and plates and screws and stuff. Those are then picked up by um, a recycling business, basically, and recycled. And um, there's also like things like hearing aids and glasses and pacemakers that can't be used, obviously, by the deceased anymore. Uh, the hearing aids and glasses are donated to people that need them. And I know there's actually a program local to me uh, that you can mail in pacemakers and they can have them like reutilized in third world countries and stuff, which I think is super cool. That is really cool. I wonder if there's another meaning behind that. Does she, did she mean like all that stuff or is it like um like used caskets? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wonder actually. I mean, there are rental caskets that could be used like time and time again until the wheels fall off of them basically. So, mm -hmm. And um. that would just be for like your memorial service. You get yeah. a nice casket and then someone else gets the same exact nice casket. Yeah. <laughs> think of it like a hotel i mean everyone's sleeping in the same bed so mm -hmm. it is a little more eco-friendly too i guess <laughs> definitely so that does it for my aunt's questions next are going to be questions from uh, my stepmom um so her first question is for both of us um what training are we given to assist with counseling for families if any Oh my. I mean, okay, so I was a death investigator and we're trained on the job exclusively. They just kind of wanted you to have like either a nurse or like funeral director or even like former cops can be death investigators. So you have some, like I was already kind of trained to deal with families, but being the first one to talk to a family that's just like, it's like they're your husband dies and then someone comes and talks to you immediately afterwards, like besides the cops, like that's me. So it is a little difficult to do that sometimes. Um, I ended up being really good at it because I feel like I'm very um, compassionate and empathetic and I have like a soft spoken voice. So people are like comfortable talking to me. Um, but I really didn't get like, you know, I didn't get like um, social work training or anything like this. Right. And I mean, we had some psych course courses in Mort school, uh, but something that our, our uh, professor like beat into our brains was that just a reminder, you guys are not licensed counselors. And so like I try to be pretty honest and, and forthcoming about that with families where it's just like, yeah, like I, I have education on how grief works in your mm -hmm. brain and, and especially with death. Um, but like anything more than that, like besides just like asking them, you know, how, what happened, you know, that kind of stuff and just listening, I would then have to, you know, find, like give them materials to be like, here, you can either use these self-help books or we can, you know, show you some grief groups or actually get you in contact with a counselor. So definitely not something that I handle. Yeah. With the investigations, we're definitely there for the information. We aren't really talking about feelings or anything like this so <laughs> I think that's where it gets a little bit easier but I feel like you just have to have a knack for it as well definitely uh, next question uh, is also for both of us is there any continued education for our professions yeah there is for um uh, death investigators can get certified through the American Board of Medical Legal Death Investigators, and there are continuing education credits to continue to be certified. And these are just in forms of like lectures or like online seminars, just like things like um, what to look for in like a burn victim or like how to um, 
assess like time of death and stuff like that just like things to keep you up to date with like new scientific knowledge and there's definitely the same for funeral directors and, and embalmers. Um, actually, some <clears throat> states require it as part of your relicensure that you complete a certain amount of uh, continued education credits. Uh, my One of my licenses that I have to uphold, I have to do 18 every two years. Um, so, yeah, you can do webinars. You can do in-person stuff. There's, of course, like the National Funeral Directors Association conventions and stuff that you can go to and like sit in and on seminars. Um, there's not like a whole lot changing for us, a lot of it's just like kind of general upkeep. Um, but yeah, that would definitely be a, a place that we would find ourselves learning any new um, hot tips on, <laughs> on <laughs> cremation or whatever. Uh, she goes on to ask, are there any specific ethics that you are to follow as part of your license, like doctors and counselors have to? Or is it more the laws specific to your states for funeral directors and medical examiners? There, Yeah, there isn't like... Like it's not like a like a law like you know HIPAA is I'm mm -hmm. assuming is what yeah there's none there's nothing like that yeah um same. but there are like there's definitely state laws I feel like funeral directing and like medical examiner stuff is definitely state by state um and the laws are there for you to for you to read and to follow yeah I mean there are some types of like law stuff in the legal code that's just like any like massive abuse of power kind of thing will cause you to lose your license. Like there's like a big list of these things will make you lose your license. And like being generally a bad funeral director is like is on there. So ethics definitely plays into that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and that wraps it up for my stepmom's questions. So on to my mom's questions. Uh, she starts asking, um, could you embalm your parent or a close family member and handle all the aspects of their funeral? I will start, I think about this a lot, actually. So I'm like going to me, that would be like, would I do an autopsy on my parent or close family member? And I, I don't think that I would be able to, I don't think that I would be able to, because a lot of it for me is like dissociation. Like, I don't know this person. So cutting them open and like ripping out their intestines is fine for me. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I always like have the utmost respect and, you know, I always try to do my best job. But if it was like, my mom or like my partner on the table i don't know i'm very emotional i wouldn't be able to do it i don't think i talk a big game but i think i also probably couldn't do like the actual embalming portion i i feel like i could definitely do like cosmetics and dressing and like i definitely mm -hmm. could handle the actual like arranging for the funeral uh yeah. type of thing because I've, I've helped a little bit with some of my you know like my grandparents and stuff like that with their their funeral arrangements where i could so i definitely think i could do that but like the embalming like anything that's like invasive yeah the invasive stuff would yeah. definitely be probably a hard no or it would yeah. or it'd have to be yeah i'd have to like super disassociate and i don't think i could do that yeah yeah i would definitely read the investigative report and the autopsy report like a hundred percent but i i wouldn't be able to do it myself agreed um next question do you know how to dispose of a body without a trace with a <laughs> laughing uh crying laughing emoji <laughs> crying laughing emoji <laughs> Is your uh, mom planning to do something in the near future? Does she have any enemies? Hey, stepdad, has she been buying a lot of duct tape and, you know, trash bags lately? 
I definitely think that cremation is going to be what you're looking for in this situation because, I mean, like at least for my crematory, we don't have like cameras or anything. And if you were to be the crematory operator knowing when people would be in and out and like be able to slip in and just cremate somebody real fast while no one's like around at night. Like, yeah, I think that's going to be your method, but I feel wow. like it's only really... I a- feel like we need to put a disclaimer in. <laughs> Red's literally telling people how to get away with her right now. In all fairness, though, it's only really a, 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 a applicable thing if you know a crematory operator or are the crematory operator, because it's not like it's an easy thing to get into the, the mm-hmm. crematory. So mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully this... Oh, God. Oh, God. Are we... We're, we're inspiring. Oh <laughs> we're inspiring crime. <laughs> And what I will say is that um, how you can dispose of a body with like a higher chance of it not being identified is also cremation. But when you're burning a body, um, not disclaimer here as well, like please don't murder anyone and burn their body. (laughs) But it's I just I'm talking about this because it's really interesting to me is that they have to be placed on a grate kind of thing like above the ground because the fat will melt off of them and put out the fire so if you have them like laying in a wood pile their fat's gonna melt and put out the fire but if they're up on like a grate or something it won't and it'll burn hotter and they will actually burn more Mm -hmm. and there won't be as much to identify but which don't is, go do that. <laughs> which is a lot of time like when, you know, people try to just like burn down a house, like do an arson murder or like try to dispose of somebody that way. Like a lot of the times the body isn't all the way um, burnt through, like, and it's still easy to figure out who they are via, yeah. via dental records or other things. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, no arson, no arson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she goes on to ask, would you ever consider going back to school to become a uh, pathologist assistant or medical examiner? And this is one for specifically for me. I know that, that she knows that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I've definitely thought about, you know, me and Jem actually have talked a little bit about me potentially getting into other aspects, um, maybe doing death investigation myself. So, uh, you know, the, the future is a very bright and vivid place. So you never know. We'll, maybe yeah. we'll see. <laughs> And, you know, I was a funeral director um, trainee once, too, and that's why I did go back to school because I was like, I do like the medical side more like I want to do more. So I'm actually in school right now to become a pathologist assistant. But let me tell you, this is the last school I am ever doing in my (laughs) entire life. I (laughs) no more (laughs) no more I went back and forth a lot I really 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 did want to be a forensic medical examiner but just the uh, you know the amount of time it takes to become one and then the amount of time it takes like dedicating yourself to your job after that I just I don't see that you know I want a family life I want you know, a fun life outside of work. <laughs> uh, I do have a lot of hobbies. So I was like, you know what, after this, I'm I'm done. I'm done. So how do you detach from the emotional side of death? That's a tough one. Uh, everyone does, does it a little differently. Um, I like to just make sure I have a very fulfilling and full life outside of work. I, I'm pretty like hard set, like when I leave that, when I walk through the doors and I get in my car and I leave, like everything that I just did for the day stays at work. Like I don't bring stuff home with me. I have things that I can do outside of work that, you know, give me fulfillment and make me feel happy. So yeah, like it's definitely good to disconnect from your job. That is really good. I actually think about death a lot outside of my job. Um, I just like to, I don't know, I feel like it kind of keeps me in check. Um, thinking about death all the time not all the time but you know what I mean yeah um but yeah I guess um 
I kind of tend to dissociate a lot when I'm dealing with my job, just enough to, as to where like I don't like if I get really sad about death every day, that's a problem for me. So I just kind of like to keep myself at a distance. And yes, it's sad. And yes, it's disturbing when certain things happen, but I can't put myself like in that space or else I just won't be able to do my job. So I think like honestly, dissociation is what I do to kind of keep myself at a distance. Would you ever open your own funeral home? Yes, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, this has been like a weird uh, dream of mine. So obviously I'm not a licensed funeral director anymore, but you can still own a funeral home and not be a licensed funeral director. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I've always loved the idea of owning my own business and um, I have a lot of ideas, um, you know, with the future of death care. I feel, I feel like it's going to be like a retirement passion project for me um mm -hmm. you know i've i've it's always on the table for me i definitely have talked to Jem about this like just like a <laughs> you know spark of the moment kind of thing it's just like if you open a funeral home i better be your lead funeral director there like it, i'm about <laughs> it like personally i would never open my own where i'm the one that's in charge of everything because i do not think that business people and funeral directors like just because you're a funeral director just because you're a funeral director doesn't make you a business person. It doesn't make you mm -hmm. good at running the business. However, mm -hmm. I got lots of good ideas that could help it run smoother. So it would definitely be something that I would want to like work with somebody on, like co-own, uh, mm -hmm. where I do more of the funeral director front of house side of things um, yeah, instead of making business thing. decisions. Yeah, you definitely need a good team behind you. Is, is definitely mm -hmm. important. All right. So next, that is a concluding my mother's questions. Next, we're going on to my dad and a big thanks to dad for sending me 30 questions <laughs> and we had to whittle that down quite a bit here uh so we're not talking at you guys for another hour just on this section alone uh so now i know where i get all of my inquisitive inquisitive nature from so thank you dad <laughs> yeah thank you so much and i do really enjoy like all the things that you know red sometimes comes to me as like oh my dad said this or you know <laughs> my dad was thinking this i'm like i i think it's so cool uh i don't know my parents don't really talk to me about death at all <laughs> Wait, wait, but, <laughs> but I have Red's dad. So. <laughs> I, I just texted him that I'm recording the questions and he's like, don't be skipping any and getting lazy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, being called out. Yeah, right. Damn, dad. dad. <laughs> we only have we only have uh, uh 50 minutes or maybe a little bit more. <laughs> so he starts off by asking why did you get into mortuary science? The money, the job security, or the morbid curiosity? And uh, it's definitely not the job security, and it's definitely <laughs> not the money. I'm telling you right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I do like the science aspect a lot of of mortuary science. I love. I think it's fascinating, um, and it does really give me a meaning at the end of the day um, that you just don't feel doing other other jobs. Yeah, I think that, you know, death has always been a curiosity of mine, but I realized pretty quickly when I was younger that I could deal with death without it really affecting me personally. So I felt like it was something that I had to do in order to like feel fulfilled and like help people in that way. I feel like I was like, if I can do this and if I can deal with death, then I should do something about it. That's, Absolutely. That's pretty much why I decided to do it. You had a calling. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> Not to be like cheesy and weird like that. <laughs> How many bodies have you embalmed? 
I'm going to do the um, how many bodies have you autopsied? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let me think. Um, The place I used to work at, gosh, it used to be, yeah. I don't know. It's such a hard question because you really, really don't keep track at all. I would say probably maybe around 2,000, like me personally. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I've probably assisted over like three or four thousand, maybe more. I don't know. It's I feel a like lot. My, I feel like my number's not as cool as yours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I didn't do any exact math or anything, but if I had to guess, it'd probably be over just over like a thousand. Um, because like my first funeral home, like I was there for two years and I did mostly just embalmings and the second funeral home, I was doing everything. So not so mm. much. And now my current job, I'm just front of house. So I haven't done nearly as many embalmings um as as those past few jobs so it kind of i could if i continued to embalm i could definitely uh have reached your numbers but i'm a little stunted now with my current position uh his next question is is this truly a family business um and funeral homes it's all over the map now uh, because we have what's called service corp international which is like this huge like mega company that buys up like the name basically for local like funeral homes and like operates their like higher up systems and all that stuff but it still like looks like it's a family-owned business uh because it has like the name on the sign and you know all the funeral homes are different it's not like it's like uh you're you're buying a what's it called it's not like you're buying a franchise or something where everything is going to look the same under the under one name um and and you can tell easily based on the signage actually uh if it says dignity on the sign or has like a tree um that is how you know that it is a a sci firm um so it's i I would say it's probably half and half at this point whether it's service corp international or like a legitimate family business like still owned by like somebody in the family or adjacent to the family Mm -hmm. yeah there are still a lot of family businesses out there and it's literally like you know, my dad did it, my grandpa did it, you mm-hmm. know, I'm doing it, or even like, you know, my aunt or uncle or something like this, um, or like a close family friend. Um, but yeah, SCI is like, I feel like it, I always am reminded of the six feet under like plot line mm-hmm. where it's like the big bad corporation is coming <laughs> to buy up our family business and we need to be good business and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's, it's literally like that, which is kind of um, concerning, but you know, no one stopped it yet. I honestly think it's going to we're going to see a lot more of the large conglomerate ones in the future because like my current funeral home, like none of the kids want to take over the family business. And like we're kind of in this era where like no one like our our children don't really have a loyalty to like what our parents did, like Mm -hmm. they kind of, you know, strike off and find their own their own way of life. So I feel like that's definitely going to become something we see more of. So something for both of us. uh, What do you consider the worst way to die? Um yeah, <laughs> this is a rough one because we definitely know it. <laughs> oh, God. Well, God, I don't know. I just think they're all awful. But um, <laughs> uh, I would I would definitely say, I don't know. I think anything where you know that it's uh, going to happen, like, you know, if you are in a car and, you know, stuck in a river and you're drowning and you can't get out, mm-hmm. um, any sort of thing. I've, oh, God, I've, this is really awful. So, like uh trigger warning for like suicide stuff but um i've seen a lot of um cases and scenes where this someone will like attempt suicide and then they'll be actively dying and they'll like regret it and you can tell that they're trying to fix their mistake but they end up dying 
terrifying anyway. Mm-hmm. That's really just does the worst and very awful. Um, but yeah, I would say that's that's really not a good way to go. I actually that was one of my methods was uh, like a botched suicide like especially if you live like some people are found and they're taken to the hospital and still die anyway like Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. and honestly I think like natural death isn't so cool especially when some people are dying for years like they have like beat cancer six times or anything like that Mm -hmm. like that's a lot to go through. And like constantly looking down the barrel at death. Like I, that's a hard pass for me. (laughs) Yeah. I know if you get someone that's so, so sick and they look so like uh, cachexic and just like, they just look awful. It's so sad sometimes. It really is. Okay. Next question. What would you do for your parents' disposition? So kind of harkening back to uh, the question earlier, what would I do for myself? This is pretty much the same. I would like to cremate my parents um, and, and scatter. I don't know. I just think that's like. Uh, really meaningful because it it puts a lot of like the disposition in the person's hands instead of just like the funeral home's hands like Mm -hmm. i get to say goodbye to my parents like at the top of a mountain you know uh, big lebowski style like i get to be the person that puts them (laughs) to their final final place of rest i think there's a lot of meaning in that i think i would like to honor their wishes um you know i have talked to them about you know how i do not like traditional burials and why i think it's wasteful and my parents are actually really um eco-friendly kind of people so i think that they would you know opt for something that's less impactful on the environment but um, i know that my mom wants a closed casket ceremony with a black coffin and purple daisies that's what she told me that's nice actually she's like i don't (laughs) she was like i don't want anyone looking at me (laughs) (laughs) Do not pursue me. <laughs> um, my dad, I don't remember. I think I asked him, but I don't think he answered me or I don't remember what he said. But I, yeah, I would do what they want. I would assume that they would want some sort of like eco-friendly burial though because they're that kind of people. Yeah. I mean, my, both of my parents already confided in me. I think cremation is the way to go. Like dad mm-hmm. gets to go get scattered at in Hawaii and mom gets to get scattered at Disney. <laughs> so, Ooh, yeah. That's a good vacation. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> What is the longest time you've kept a body between when it came in and when it was buried, either pre or post embalming, or I guess in your case, Gem, uh, like, I guess, how long of a stint do they have at the medical examiner's office? Yeah, like we recently did an episode on indigent deaths. So if, you know, a body is unclaimed, we have to keep the body for a certain amount of time. And due to paperwork and red tape, sometimes it takes a really long time to Mm -hmm. um, try to get these people, um, you know, properly... um, you know, buried or whatever. Um, I think the longest one we ever had was like, it was close to a year. It was bad, mm. but we have a, we have a freezer. So he was frozen in the freezer. And once the bodies are frozen, they really, they're just in there. Like they don't, nothing super bad really happens. Um, but yeah, I think the longest I ever had was just a man that no one knew or no one wanted to take care of. And he was in there for, I would say at least eight or nine months. It was, it was insane how long he was in there. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, we had somebody at our mortuary science college, similarly indigent. We were waiting on like the paperwork to pull through so we could actually like do something with him. He was there for like a year, if not a little bit over. And at that point, we called him Maggot Man. And oh, I'm no. gonna, I'm just gonna let your imagination fill in the blanks on that oh, one. Oh no! <laughs> like he was more of a soup than a person. Oh god! Because uh, <laughs> you guys, yeah, there wasn't a freezer there if I'm no it was all just refrigeration oh, no. so yeah That's that awful. was that was rough 
Yeah, um, you still decompose when you're in the fridge. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like anything you have in your fridge, fruit's still going <laughs> bad. You know, meat's still going bad. So, oh god, that's terrible. At the funeral home, we had some people, I mean, that we would keep for a few months on end, like especially being in any funeral home that you are like at a place that has very cold winter months. And like if you can't dig in the grounds, you have to wait until it thaws to be able to bury somebody. Mm, So we've definitely held on to a few people for a few months to get through winter for that. Next question. Can you bury a person legally on your property? So this one I actually did have to do some research on because like I've always wondered it myself and like always talked about looking into it but never had. So Lord, the legal code that I had to read through for this one, I got super burnt out trying to look into it. Bless your Uh, heart. I hate reading laws. I hate it. It's the worst. (laughs) Um, And so kind of what I was able to find, it falls into the state and local laws, of course, and also like sometimes zoning code. Mm-hmm. For like building and stuff, like mm-hmm. and property stuff. Uh, so some states have outright like totally banned it. Like absolutely not, you cannot do this. Um, some local government hasn't restricted it, but they have like a lot of like hoops to jump through to do it. So if you live in suburbia, signs point to no. Uh, but like if you're a farmland holder, perhaps. Yeah, and in any case, you need to have a funeral director involved. They won't just like let you take mom and like bury her like if mom dies you can't just bury her in the back farmland like right that's illegal yeah very illegal <laughs> uh next question do you have to wear ppe to do transfers i mean i would want to the, i think the <laughs> i think the um i think the thing here is like to what extent do you wear ppe mm-hmm. um i i i don't want to like take your answer red but i know with like funeral home pickups if it's like an old person on hospice just wear gloves and like be careful if there's any purge or anything like this um and i think that's goes also with like you don't want to like scare the family off or like make them think that there's disease and death because there's not really especially for something like that so i wouldn't wear like the whole get up to like go pick up someone from hospice right exactly i mean obviously recently we had to wear masks when we go into Mm -hmm. people's houses Mm -hmm. but yeah standard yeah just gloves traditionally um but we always do like an ocular pat down to the situation first before we come in and that's Mm -hmm. usually when we assess like okay like how bad is this like do we need to put on sleeve protectors do we need to put on booties like Mm -hmm. how i mean especially in the cases like of houses that have like lots of pest infestation types of things i definitely want to have as much protection as possible so you're not taking anything back with you to the funeral home or god forbid your house yeah yeah and the same goes for like me transfers you just kind of assess the scene and like you know obviously if it's a car crash you're going to want more protection than like you know someone who had a heart attack in their bed at home um, I do think the worst thing, though, is like what we most often wear the Tyvek suits for, which is like the full body, like head mm-hmm. to toe, like um, astronaut spaceman suits <laughs> is like the hoarder houses with mm-hmm. like all of the bugs and stuff. I feel like that is the most often where those are used. It's not like the actual like crime scene that causes someone to wear that. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just bugs, man. Like that's so yeah. much worse. Oh, they're terrible. So I I love this <laughs> next question. Um, and I'm going to read it exactly as as I got it from my dad. I love this. Okay. <laughs> so like in Silence of the Lambs where they put something under their nose so they don't smell the bodies, is that real or is it a movie thing? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's so funny. Um, it's <laughs> definitely real coming from the stinky decomp medical examiner side of things. Mm -hmm. um, the something that they're putting under their nose is probably Vicks. That's really common yeah. to put Vicks under your nose. Um, it is, though. I feel like this is true. It's not like a proven fact, but Vicks opens up your sinuses more. So makes I feel like worse. more smell gets in, <laughs> so it might make it worse. But what we used to do... Um, sometimes for like an extremely bad decomp body is we would put essential oil droplets inside mm. of our masks so it would be like eucalyptus or lavender i think we had and you put it in the mask you don't put it on your face but yeah i think um people use vix a lot that's like an old-timey thing yeah that was something that was on our list of things to buy uh for mortuary science college we got vix uh for when we were going to start embalming lab so i definitely uh put some vix under my nose before a few of our uh our sessions so that is definitely a thing are there exhaust fans in the embalming room so osha has a lot to say about this um there's it's something like it has to of course there has to be an exhaust system uh and it has to do like something like 12 air exchanges per hour like the entire room has to have the air changed out at least 12 times an hour uh, and uh, for good reason, uh, anybody who has spilled any type of formaldehyde or cavity fluid knows why it's important to be able to change out the air very frequently. Um, yeah, the um, uh, autopsies, like um, embalming rooms and necropsy suites are the same. Like you have to have, it's OSHA regulated, so you can't operate as a lab if you're not complying. So, um, you know, a certain number of air changes per hour and also formaldehyde and formalin is just a terrible, terrible chemical that we still consistently use, and it does cause cancer, um, so you definitely don't want to be breathing that in. What is the most expensive item you recall someone being buried with? So people bury all sorts of stuff with their loved ones. I've seen, um, like, jewelry uh, that goes with them. Like, I've asked, like, you know, this is a diamond ring, right? And they're like, yeah, no, but it was hers, and, you know, we don't want it. We want her to have it. It was, you know, a symbol of her love for dad, so, you know, we want her to have that. Uh, golf clubs, you know, all sorts of stuff like that that, you know, with an actual dollar amount is is pretty high up there. I did have this one situation. Thank God I wasn't the person who caused it. Um, a family heirloom bracelet. It was like some gold, like, bracelet from Greece or something that was in the family for forever was buried with a body. And we had to go do a disinterment, pay for the disinterment to, oh like, God. retrieve it. Yeah, wow. It was, like, a whole thing. I'll, I'll tell the story at some point later on, uh, yeah. like, in, in, in the podcast. Because, yeah, it's, like, a whole thing, man. Wow. Yeah, because they do teach us that you, like, should ask the family, like, if they want to keep the jewelry, you know, before the burial happens. Like, you know. Always. Obviously, things happen and mistakes are made, but that's yeah, That's a big one. That's a that's a career <laughs> ender right there. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, you know, people come to autopsies with whatever they have on them, so. I think the funniest thing is the little old ladies that come down from the hospital and they have, like, their entire life with them in their purse. Yeah. It's just, like, <laughs> the Mary their Poppins little, bag. like, body, and then on top of them is this huge purse with all their stuff in it. <laughs> it's like, oh, you needed that in the afterlife, I'm sure. Yeah. I had this lady when she had, like, an iPad. She had, like, her knitting stuff. I was like, aw. <laughs> Have you worked any cases a family sued the funeral home because they did a bad job on the body? So for me, uh, definitely not personally, nothing that I was involved in, but it definitely happens. Uh, people sue for emotional distress all the time. It is hard to prove if it's like grief in general, though, or an actual like permanent impact 
on someone's psyche uh, based on the funeral home's negligence. But a lot of the laws that exist today uh, exist because they are cases that were won against funeral homes and is something that needed to be made into an actual code. So it does happen. Mm -hmm. Do you actually dress the bodies or just cut and tuck the clothing? <laughs> That's a really good question. I was like, Ooh, is you really I proud of them for question. asking that? <laughs> I'll go with my experience. I've had limited experience, but it really depends. Some funeral homes do, some funeral homes do not. Um, like I've worked at funerals that have, and I've have cut and tucked, and I've worked at funerals that actually dress the bodies. Um, and then sometimes you physically cannot dress the body, so it, it really just depends on like what's going on. Um, but what what do you think, Red? So I've worked at funeral homes that do both. Like some funeral homes are like super like about it like they are like we do not cut here you know you have to dress this person kind of funeral homes yeah it's like a moral code kind of thing <laughs> yeah right exactly like it's lazy or something and i'm like i i try to dress the person in the clothing that is brought for them without cutting but i am not against cutting clothing especially if somebody is of size or obviously like these clothes no longer no longer fit this person like it would just look better tucked with, uh, yeah. with the cut clothes so i usually I was gonna base say, it yeah. on the situation yeah people bring nice clothes and maybe this person hasn't worn their nice clothes in a while and maybe they're 100 pounds heavier like you aren't going to put them in that no matter how hard right. you try so <laughs> it definitely depends on the situation this, is a, this one's a good one for you, Jim. Uh, how long does rigor last, a rigor mortis, and does it affect balming and dressing? So rigor mortis usually appears only like two to four hours after death is when it starts to develop. And then it can fully develop, which, you know, it means it reaches its peak. It's at its stiffest uh, about six to 12 hours after death. And obviously, this is just kind of like academic numbers. Like it varies greatly depending on like, you know, heat. Um, also, if you are doing like strenuous activity before you die, rigor can set in like right away because your muscles are all tensed up already. Like if you are like fighting an assailant or if you're like running or something like this. Um, so it really depends. But it's, you know, the general rule is like eight to 12 hours is when it's fully set and then it starts to come off. And usually by 24 to 48 hours, you're not in rigor anymore. So it is kind of a quick process. Um, you know, people always assume that if you're dead, you are in rigor immediately and you stay in rigor forever. And that is just not true. <laughs> yeah, no. And it doesn't really affect embalming because we always break rigor uh, at the beginning of like getting somebody embalmed just so we have full range of motion uh, and better positioning. Um, honestly, the thing that would affect dressing most is the embalming itself because it, it sets the tissues in the position, like the hands over the stomach. So kind of like the 90 or ninety degree angle uh, at the elbows, that makes it hard to dress somebody. So not, not the rigor. Yeah. And the science of rigor mortis is so cool. I actually really like talking about it, but we'll talk about it in a different episode. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something I've always wanted to touch on with the yeah. with this because I, I think it's really cool, too. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever dealt with a case that should have been a closed casket, but the family wanted them shown anyway? I've always wanted to. Like, I've always seen on TV, like, it's like, oh, this person's head got cut in half, but the embalmer, like, reconstructed it. And they actually trained us in school to do, like, wax modeling, reconstructive, like, mm -hmm. embalming, but I never, ever got a chance to do that. 
Yeah, like uh, there's there's plenty of suicides in this situation that I would definitely like recommend not to have, you know, an open casket. Um, and like usually people are pretty responsive when we say like don't, uh, they won't. But there's still like families that like, yeah, we won't have an open casket for the service, but we want to see them. So like I remember there mm-hmm. was a young boy that, you know, had shot himself with a shotgun and like really messed oh, up his face bones wow. so like even though the skin wasn't really ruptured like the bones were just shattered inside of him like it just it, looks awful too it's not yeah. the person you knew in life exactly so like they saw him multiple times and they needed that and like we did our best with it but mm-hmm. like i would not recommend that to any other families like i even did like a private family farewell once where the person looked so bad but they wanted to see him so we just had his like arm sticking out because like Mm -hmm. that was the only thing that wasn't like super messed up looking so yeah fortunately so far people are (laughs) trust us as a as the professionals that we are i and now that i'm remembering we do actually get a lot of calls from families about seeing someone once they have come to the medical examiner's office And because um, our office was located in a hospital, we did have a viewing room and Mm -hmm. we did do that sometimes. But a lot of the times, especially with cases of decomp, um, the family would like insist on coming in to see this person that's been decomposed for like, you know, two or three weeks. And it's like, this is not, first of all, it's probably not safe. Second of all, it's, it's not the person that you remember. Mm -hmm. I know some, um, medical examiner offices have to have a family member identify, even if they are like super decomposed, um, which is interesting, but we usually tried to steer families away from that just for like mental sake. So question for Jim, uh, has he ever had to go out on a scene where multiple people have died? So like car accident, multiple shooting, plane crash, anything like that? Um, I did a couple times just like, it's so, so rare. Um, I remember actually when I wasn't an investigator, I was, a I was doing the body removal service. We had a, um, multiple fatality car accident where these two guys were driving a car and they were, um, high on drugs and they drove off like a cliff and they both died. And that was, it's interesting because you're like getting the body and then you get it in the car and you're like, oh wait, there's another one. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> but there was a really, um, it's a really well-known like private plane crash that happened locally to my area. And that was before I was involved in the death industry, but like everyone that I know was involved with it. And it's, it's very, it's very much like a lot of planning, um, a lot of like keeping track of, you know, people and parts. Um, we had, we talked about like mass disasters in that way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really rare, which is, you know, good, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever exhumed a body or seen one exhumed? Are they similar to mummified bodies? So this one's really fun. I did get a chance one time to uh, be present because usually they have to have a direct. Usually I have to have like a funeral director as like a part of that um, when somebody gets exhumed. Uh, so I did get to see somebody once. We had exhumed the body and then the body was taken to uh, the crematory to be cremated. So it was a metal casket. I don't remember how old the body was um but they had to like punch a hole in the casket so it drained all the water out because the uh vault was not like a lined vault so all the Mm -hmm. water just came through you know concrete's porous and all that so after that drained they cracked it open took the lid off like the the lid parts off like the head and foot lids off Mm -hmm. and yeah he was 
does not look so good, especially with water having gotten inside the casket, like definitely had started to decompose uh, at a faster rate. Um, so definitely not mummified. Like there were still some soft tissues left and like the clothes weren't like moth eaten or anything. Um, but typically, I mean, in, in situations like this anyway, um, it's usually not long enough for any of these bodies to mummify completely. And it also depends on like the situation. Like, was it a gasketed casket? What kind of vault did they have? But especially with embalming, like that just kind of makes that last way longer. So we really never get to see a body that would be mummified just by time. Um, and honestly, at that point, we'd probably just be seeing bones of somebody yeah there's so many variables like it depends on how long they've been dead it depends on if they've been involved like red said if they're exposed to water or anything like this that's really interesting i've always thought about like if a body is embalmed like how long until they're starting to look like icky. real bad yeah, yeah that's so it, interesting yeah. it was the is a smell i would never forget <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a very different smell Oh, uh, real nasty. <laughs> ten, zero out of ten would not recommend. <laughs> would not recommend. <laughs> okay, and our final question. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is the worst body to attempt to restore for showing? Someone who's really old, skydiver whose parachute didn't open, waterlogged body? <laughs> So, yeah, actually, I had just uh, briefly mentioned this in a question not so long ago. Um, mm -hmm. the, the young kid who had um, used a shotgun to kill himself, like because because the skin like was still molded around uh, his skull in like the, the skull bits were so broken up. Like it it was it was rough trying to shape him back into like a mm. semblance of what a skull looked like. Mm. Like he looking at pictures of him, like it wasn't even close to being that kid again. And like the amount of, cause he was already starting to decompose too. So oh, like yeah. you don't have a good base to start on to do wax work. Like, I, and I, I don't want to take all the credit for this. Like I only assisted my uh, other apprentice friend I was working with did a majority of the work, but it was just a nightmare. It was so wow. bad. Yeah, I like the little list that your dad gave us here. Someone who's really old. Uh, <laughs> skydivers, like, I, I actually haven't seen a skydiver body that's parachute didn't open. That would be really interesting to see. But I'm assuming they don't go, like, splat. They, they kind of stays all in, in you know? I, f I feel like they don't go splat, but I, I wouldn't know, so I don't know. Um, waterlogged bodies, I don't think you can really fix that if they're really, really, really bad. Like if there they've was... been floating in the river for like a couple days. Yeah, it's just the decomposition is so wild at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we did, so my professor for my restorative arts class uh, did show us some slides where somebody had been, you know, massively decomposed after something like that and mm -hmm. like completely green at that point. And like the before right. and after of like what his student was able to do, like she looked pretty dang good. Like, I mean, she looked like a wax replica at that yeah. point of the person, but like yeah. still impressive. It, it is really surprising what you can do with embalming. I will say I think something that cannot be restored without like full wax modeling is like a burn victim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And, th- and that's the thing is like without a good base, like if your canvas is bad, you can't get the paint to stick to it. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if we don't have something good to work with on the base, like if we can't embalm the body fully so we have a nice like like semi-hardened tissues to be able to start building on, mm-hmm. there's no way. Like there's just mm-hmm. no way to get that stuff to stick. Yeah. Or like in situations where like the skull is in a million little pieces, like if you can't wire them back together to look like a skull like obviously when you put the flesh back over the top it's gonna look funny it's not gonna look right so there's a lot of cool things you can do but you there's it's just got to be the right condition sometimes yeah also just the right at the right cost yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah to get somebody to come in that's like good at doing reconstruction like that's that's yeah, it's gonna be a pretty Price. penny to be able a to do that. Penny. <laughs> yeah, it's a very sought after skill set. So, mm-hmm. definitely not usually in a lot of people's um, financial range. And that is all our questions we had. I know Red's dad told us not to skip any, but we're running out of time, man. <laughs> um, I very much enjoyed answering all of them, though. It was so much fun. And maybe we can do like another follow-up episode with some more questions. Um, and if you guys like have any questions yourselves, or if this episode kind of like stirred something up in you and you want to ask us a bunch of stuff, if you want to send us like 50 questions in an email, like go ahead and do it. Like we are all ears for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was like one of the things that I was mostly looking forward to when we started doing this podcast was answering uh, listener questions. Um, Like I've been trying to write down some of the questions that just my friends send me uh, randomly so I can, you know, lump that together in an episode for us to answer more questions because it would be something that I would like to do much more often, uh, maybe once or twice a year where we're actually able to like answer questions that you guys have. So I know you got a lot of them uh, because obviously you keep asking them to us in private. So. <laughs> don't be ashamed no question is a stupid question absolutely <laughs> and that's going to be all this week on mort mike we'd love to connect with you guys on our socials so like follow and subscribe to us on facebook twitter and youtube at mort mike podcast it would mean a lot to hear your feedback so please tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site that you use If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to hear about or those burning questions so we can do another episode like this shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. I also want to give a huge thank you to our friend Marson for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can check out his Bandcamp at Marson, that's M-A-R-S-O-N, music.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Marson. And be sure to tune in the first Thursday of every month for some more casual discussions on death. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye.